Sermon 605, The Nobody and Everybody, preached in the First Presbyterian Church of Bakerstown on Sunday, April 23, 1972. And the text is Mark, the fifth chapter, the 25th through the 34th verses. according to Mark, the fifth chapter, beginning to read at the twenty-fifth verse. And there was a woman who had had a flow of blood for twelve years, and who had suffered much under many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, If I touch even his garments, I shall be made well. And immediately the hemorrhage ceased, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone forth from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you ask, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had been done to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him, and tell, told him the whole truth. And Jesus said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. <laughs> this woman she was a real nobody. On that day in Palestine when she touched Jesus and was healed, the disciples, those closest to her, were not cognizant of her presence. No one seemed to notice her. And when the three gospel writers tried to put down on some form of writing tablet, they didn't even know her name, so we don't know it today. A real nobody. Nobody seems to know where she came from, what she was doing, where she was going, where she lived. Nobody. She's just another one of the many nameless, anonymous nobodies whom Jesus helped and healed. But when you study her life, as we're going to do today, 
you find that in this nobody we have a somebody. When we study her life, her faith, or her lack of faith, we see in this nobody something symbolic which is in everybody. We see in this woman something that is in you and me in the form of tendencies and hesitancies and in desires and hopes and dreams. She was just like you and me. This nobody has something to say to everybody. For this nobody is in everybody. And when we study her life and think about all of the dynamics involved in this encounter with Jesus, we see in that nobody the tendency which seems to be a part of everybody to come to Jesus only as a last resort. Now, I know that doesn't sound very popular, and maybe some will disagree. But I personally feel that everybody has a tendency built inherently within him to come to Jesus only as a last resort. And I'm talking about coming to Jesus in a real, honest, powerful way. You see, this woman, Jesus was not her first choice. Granted, he had only been ministering in a few months, and she had had this disease for 12 years. And we can suppose that this woman tried every known cure that was available to, to rid her of her sickness or, or her weakness. crazy things and the not-so-crazy things. There was a superstition in her day, and I'm sure she followed it, that if a woman in her condition would carry the ashes of an ostrich egg in a linen rag in the summer and in a cotton rag in the winter, she would be healed. She probably believed it and tried it. She had tried all types of physicians. Mark tells us that she suffered much under many physicians. She had spent all that she had and still was no better, but rather grew worse. And then as a last resort, she came to Jesus. Not as the first choice, but the last physician to whom she came. And you know, there's a tendency in each one of us, I honestly believe it. If we are going to be honest, I think there are many others that we try to find solutions and help before we come to Jesus. 
unlike this woman, we have heard of Christ for more than just a few months. We have heard about him for years. Some of us every week, and some of us every day, study something about this Jesus. We know of his resources that are available for healing and for wholeness. We stand and confess and claim to believe that he and he alone is the way, the truth, and the life. And without him, no one can find the meaning and the destiny for his own life. Yet let a problem strike. And sometimes we'll turn to any physician before we turn to Jesus. Let some problem strike. Rest at our doorstep. And look at the physicians to whom we consult. We become anxious over every new piece of advice. We consume and consult all types of cures. We agonize with all types of analysis. We fiddle with all the new fads. We hunt for the latest horoscopes. We spend so much time and so much money on these other physicians. And yet in our personal lives we find instead of things getting better, they get worse. There's just something in us as individuals. Maybe it's our sin, because you know what sin is, is a desire on our part to be in competition with God. And I guess that's why we don't like to come unto Jesus, except as a last resort. But though we know about him, though we claim to worship him, there seems to be a tendency in all of us not to come unto him until everything else has failed. We do this in our personal life, and look, we do it also on that higher scale of national and international life. We claim to worship the one who came not only in peace, but who is our peace, and who is the Prince of Peace, and who can bring peace on earth and goodwill to all men. But what do we do? Do we consult this physician for advice and for plan and for love? First, we seem to consult the propositions and the presumptions of so many self-made physicians who claim to have the cure and the solution and the healing power for all of the sickness, the cancers, and the sores of this nation and of all the world. And we spend time and we spend money and we spend energy listening to such nationalists who try and preach and tell us you love America or you leave it. 
or who spend time and effort and money with the pacifists who say the only solution is to blow up the Pentagon. Or we join with the black racists who says we've got to get rid of hunky. Or we join with the white racists who says send the blacks back to Africa. Or we join with the young and with the old. Destroy the establishment. And what happens? The thing that is happening in our nation, in the world today, things are not getting better, they're getting worse. Because we have a tendency on our part, individually and collectively, to come to Jesus only after we have consulted all the other physicians. Jesus knows this. How patient he is. Far more patient than I. He waits. He lets us experiment. He lets us call on any quacks we want. But he hopes eventually we will turn to his shingle, to the master physician. For he knows, as we ought to know, that there is no other name under heaven by which man can be saved and healed. A few weeks ago, as a matter of fact, it was on St. Patty's Day, I was invited to be a part of the 10th anniversary dinner of the local chapter of Alcoholics Anonymous. There's a chapter, you know, that meets in our community in the neighboring church, the St. Thomas in the Field Episcopal Church, every Friday night at 9 p.m. Because I had been invited and had attended the first meeting, they asked if I would be a part of the 10th anniversary. It was a great night. We listened to the testimonies, enjoyed the good fellowship, heard of some horrible ex experiences, and prayed with those people as they pray at every meeting and as each sincere alcoholic prays every day. That God, as they understand him, will give them the power and the strength for another day of sobriety. It was a great night of testimony. The main speaker preached a sermon. He didn't know that.